Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Jolenta. Hey, Kristen. It has been one week since we lived by Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints, and you know what that means. It's time for another By the Book mini episode. Your life is going down the drain. You're in so much pain. You need some help. Ooh, self-help. By the book, 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 by the book. That's right. It's time for a by the book epilogue ep. And this week, we're going to hear from you all about our most recent book, Phyllis Diller's Housekeeping Hints by, you guessed it, Phyllis Diller. But before we get to this week's responses from our listeners, we're once again going to put this book into historical context with the help of our friend and yours, historian Trish Travis. Reminder, Professor Travis is a 20th century U.S. cultural and literary historian with a focus on gender and popular culture. Her subspecialties are the history of medicine with a focus on therapy, addiction and recovery, and self-help, which makes her the perfect person to join us. Welcome back, Professor Travis. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Jolenta. Hey. hey. We're so glad to have you here to help us with this uh, interesting book we just got done living by. Could you just set the stage for us of what was happening in the 1960s when this book came out? What was historically happening in America at the time? Well, this is always a tough question, and for the 1960s, it's particularly difficult. If we think about the 60s as a decade that goes from year zero to year nine, you've got 
Camelot with the JFK election in 1960. Mm. And then you got Charles Manson in 1969. That's a big spread. Sign (laughs) me up for that decade. And in between those things, you have multiple assassinations of major political figures, bombings of public places, violent mass protests involving the citizens of the United States pitted against their own armed forces. Mm. And I haven't even mentioned one of the most important aspects of this decade, the coming of rock and roll to the United States. Mm, So the 60s had a lot going on in it. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to my first of two words that I have uh, for listeners uh, in this episode. And that word is privilege. Mm, There were... Folks in the United States whose privilege insulated them from what we think of when we think of the 60s, which is the struggle for social justice. But I think it's also really important to remember, um, especially for the social justice-minded among us, that then, as now, many people living in the United States don't experience their lives as political, don't experience the sort of texture of day-to-day life as one filled with conflict. And so are just going along, happy to buy their groceries, watch their TV shows, and uh, take care of their manicured suburban lawns. Mm -hmm. The most popular TV shows of the decade, for example, were The Andy Griffith Show and Gunsmoke and Mm -hmm. Bewitched. So the world of people largely untouched by the sort of revolutionary dimensions of the 60s, that's the world that Phyllis Diller wrote for. Right. And... I'm excited by the fact that you all included this book because it references this piece of America's past that we don't often think of today. But I was a little bit surprised by y'all's fondness for the book. That, that took me <laughs> by surprise. Yeah. Uh, not because it's a hate, hateful, oppressive tome that we shouldn't uh, be paying attention to, but I thought that you all would maybe see it as a little bit out of touch with the times. But you didn't. Uh, in part because you're tuned into the fact that the 60s meant different things for different people. But also, I think one thing that Joe Lent and I both pointed to that we liked about it was it was subversive yes. within certain confines, which is how a lot of women at the time were subversive. And you mentioned earlier Bewitched. And for those of us who have done film and television studies, that is also seen as a political statement about women's place in society. Here is a woman who has all of these powers but is not allowed to use them outside her home. And so I think that when we read Phyllis Diller's Housekeeping Hints, Jolenta and I saw that in the book. Even though you're right, it's not hugely revolutionary. It's not uh, acknowledging things like race or war. Or Or just the fact that, like, this, why is this women's work? Like, period. So that is so exciting to me because it takes me directly to my second word, which was resistance. Yes, (laughs) yes. So if we think of a women's history of the 1960s, and I think this book really prompts us to do that, that decade doesn't start in 1960. It starts in 1963 with the publication of Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we could even say that the decade ends in 1968 with uh, Miss America protest um, led by New York radical women. And it's really, it was really interesting to me to think about Phyllis Diller, who I haven't thought of as part of the sort of subversive women's tradition of the 60s as part of this. In Betty Friedan's Feminine Mystique, you see the first popular articulation of women's dissatisfaction with a white, middle-class, suburban dream that was promised in the post-war period 
And Diller picks up on that dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. If it's okay with you, I'm just going to read the first paragraph from mm-hmm. uh, The Feminine Mystique. Totally. Will that work okay for you all? Yeah. So here's how Ferdan starts. See if you don't hear Phyllis Diller in here in a different way. The problem lay buried, unspoken, for many years in the minds of American women. It was a strange stirring, a sense of dissatisfaction, a yearning that women suffered in the middle of the 20th century United States. Each suburban wife struggled with it alone. As she made the beds, shopped for groceries, matched slipcover material, ate peanut butter sandwiches with her children, chauffeured Cub Scouts and brownies, lay beside her husband at night, she was afraid to ask even of herself the silent question, is this all? That is That's so stellar to a T. Yeah. Exactly. That, that like, that, isolation and dissatisfaction while going through the motions. But Ugh. with none of the humor of Phyllis Diller. It's yeah. just laid bare. Yeah. So Diller plays all of that for laughs. Mm-hmm. But she is suggesting or asking in her own way, this is not all there is. Yeah, why are we doing this? She's offering cover for, with her humor, a kind of resistance to a norm that has yet to be fully articulated and critiqued by by the women's movement. What's interesting to me is that her humor creates a little wedge mm-hmm. in that world of gun smoke watching in America that we don't think of as radical. The humor offers a way to get that critique in that organized feminists, both liberal and radical, in the ni- late 1960s wouldn't really have been able to do, not at this time, and then with their polemical actions later, they weren't able to sort of bring their critique to average American women um, in the way that someone who smuggles it in, like Phyllis right. Diller, mm-hmm. uh, does. Diller's book doesn't give people the language of a very um, solid critique of what the problem is, but she does give them a way to begin resisting And to feel like the idea, the desire to resist is valid. Right. I just got a big sense of isolation from the the feminine mystique and the housekeeping hints of like this is such a personal, quiet Mm -hmm. struggle. And just reading someone else's words about it and seeing that like you're not the only person feeling this way. There's a large part of the population must have been such a relief. Yeah, I think that's really true. And you can think of it as becoming a sort of like stealth coding mechanism yeah. to perhaps recognize other women in your neighborhood who might be like-minded. If they had this book or another similar book is um, Peg Bracken's um, I Hate to Cook book. Mm. <laughs> so there were there was a genre of these sort of like funny, you know, I'm not one of them kind of books that uh, that appeared during this time that I think are a really important archive of pre-feminist or proto-feminist or quasi-feminist writings that pave the way in their passive-aggressive way <laughs> for later full-on aggressive-aggressive announcements that there's more to life than a perfectly waxed floor. We can recognize that in Diller's writing, and we can celebrate it, even if it might not be the thing that we want to do ourselves in our lives today. Yeah. Wow. Totally well, agree. What a fabulous way to put this book into context. And thank you so much, as always. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. We really <laughs> just cannot thank you enough, Professor Travis. Put those two words under my pillow tonight. Yes. You are the best. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll talk to you again in a couple weeks, Trish. Okay. More to come. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break, but stay with us. When we're back, we'll be hearing from all of you out there who wrote in this week about Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with listener responses to Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints. Let's get to it. First up, I want to hear from our listeners who wrote in who have a special history with this book. Oh, there were surprisingly a large number of people who did have a history with the book. So first up, Linda, who says, I cannot believe you featured the Phyllis Diller book this week. My mom had the book, and I probably read it in bits and pieces a hundred times growing up. I have always thought it was hilarious and loved the illustrations. In retrospect, I believe my mom must have needed it for comic relief, having four kids and a husband who was rarely home. Thank you for reminding me of this book. I have to see if mom still has it. Oh, yes, Linda. If mom still has it, send us a picture. Yes. The cover of this book is to die for. Yes. And send us a photo of your mom in the era of the book, too. Oh, that would be so great. I also love this letter we got from Marie who says, Hey, guys, I just learned that Phyllis Diller was a PTA mom at my daughter's elementary school, which is Edison in Alameda, California. And she got her start by telling jokes to other moms who encouraged her to perform. Speaking from experience, it would have been great during my intense, often dramatic PTA involvement to have some laughs. We moms are still expected to do everything. Smiley face. I want to be at that PTA meeting. I want to be at all those PTA meetings. I want to be at a 60s PTA meeting with Phyllis Diller. We're all wearing pillbox hats and Kristen dresses. (laughs) And I can be like smoking and drinking a martini and no one can say shit. Oh, yeah. That would be a dream. So good. So biting. And nobody's going home to tell anybody about what's joked about. It stays Mm -mm. in the room. Yes. All right. We have another 60s story we want to share with you. We just love this one from Jill, who grew up in a very stereotypical typical mid-century home, but chose a totally different direction for herself. She says, I was born in 1962. My mom was a traditional housewife until I was six when she and my dad divorced. She then went to work in an office where she met the man who would become my stepdad. After they married, she continued working full-time, but she also continued to do all the work of a housewife. I grew up wanting something different. I wanted to be Mary Richards, the independent 30-something TV producer of The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Or Sally Rogers, the wisecracking comedy writer played by Rose Marie on The Dick Van Dyke Show. I was going to go to college, get a job, and live in a fun apartment. 
And I went on to do it all. I traveled, established a career, and ended up relocating to a major metropolitan area. And while having a husband was never a priority, it was there in that city at 37 years old that I met the man I would eventually marry. Yes. Oh, I love this story. Plus, oh, my gosh. props for the Rosemary reference. I feel like she is undervalued as an early television boss. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think love if you as a Rosemary. I was going to say, she's always been one of my favorites if we're talking, like, Rhoda, Mary Tyler Moore, that girl type stuff. Like, I pick Rosemary. Oh, yeah. She was so biting and so smart, and Ugh. she totally— took no shit from all the men in the so writing good. room, and which is still like there's how There's a writing, lot of shit. Yeah, take. there's still yeah. like those ratios in writing rooms today where For it's like sure. all these dudes Especially who are comedy. convinced that they're funny and maybe one woman in the You'd room. Like, I'm so glad you guys are all lampoons, but like, have you tried having a vagina in writing a joke? <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> and I love the Mary Tyler Moore references. You oh, know, Joe liked I'm a huge fan of Mary Richards. And um, one thing, if you have not seen the Mary Tyler Moore show, I highly recommend it because Do Mary it. Tyler Moore, when she first uh, was developing the show was told, but she has to be married by the end of season one. And somehow, Mary Tyler Moore managed to make that show go on for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the show, Mary Tyler Moore's character, Mary Richards, still was unmarried. She was very happy. She had a lot of friends. She had a successful career. She dated a lot. It was implied that she had sex. Yeah. But she still wasn't married, and that was totally fine. And she wasn't a failure. <laughs> Yay! Uh, Michelle wrote in to say, I was born in 1964. My mom stayed home and my dad worked outside the home. My mom worked before she was married. She met my dad there. And I know she really missed it when she stopped to have kids. When my youngest brother started middle school in the 70s, though, she went back to work and my dad picked up more household tasks. Over the years, their duties became more equal because my mom trained him up right. Now he's a widower, 80 years old, and he maintains a four-bedroom house with a yard all on his own. He always did the finances, car stuff, outdoor work, and handyman stuff, but now he also cleans, cooks, and does laundry. He told me several years ago after my mom passed away, I had absolutely no idea how much work it is to run a household, especially the holidays. I thought I did a lot, but your mom and her mom did so much. I didn't appreciate it like I should have. Yes to this yes. dad. Oh, my God. This letter makes me so... Misty, I hope that all of the 1960s dads mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who had this kind of division of work eventually realized, like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I don't do nearly enough around here, and I'm so sorry I don't appreciate you more. Yes. I love the, especially the holidays. You know, uh, over the holidays, my mom and I were at a large gathering of uh, Milkies, my husband's family, mm -hmm. and the house is big, and there's a billion people there, food everywhere, and every inch of the house is decorated with some type of holiday detail from candles and tchotchkes which is all over and my mom was like do you know how much time it took to do this and i was like oh shit i don't but it probably took days oh probably like just Dozens for us of hours, to probably. have like a whimsical few hours while we drink and forget about all the details that were there to delight us you know like props yeah, and then wrapping the presents. Oh, God, that takes forever. Lights, and then taking all the wrapping paper and then recycling it. And then just putting away the presents. The mom does all these things yeah. in a historical household, yes, right? exactly. Oh, God, it's so much work. So much work. Well, speaking of people who feel they're still expected to do everything, mm. 
a very large percentage of you out there say that, hey, that describes you right now in 2020. You still feel that you have to do everything. Right. Um, Apologies if I'm pronouncing this name wrong. Madura says, to me, house cleaning and tidying is a sensitive topic. I like to keep a tidy and clean house, but I have always struggled with having a husband who just doesn't see what I see when it comes to certain tasks, such as cleaning bathrooms, kitchen counters, stovetops, and so on. So I can already tell how some of the strategies in the book won't work in my household. Just last week, we had a situation similar to Kristen's laundry scenario, which lasted two whole days before I could find the time to rewash the clothes and put them in the dryer after I'd left them there hoping he'd see them. Not once did he realize that this needed to be taken care of. Oh, You know, I feel your pain. If I had a dollar for every time Brad and I had an argument about the house where I was like, I'm just sick of being the one who notices. Mm. Like, I would have so many dollars. He's getting better, (laughs) but it's very frustrating. Yeah, and a lot of other folks out there said that it came down to either A, the other person just doesn't see these things, or B, the other person doesn't have the same standards of cleanliness, Mm -hmm. or maybe one person has standards of cleanliness but not tidiness. Exactly. The difference between tidiness and cleanliness has come up a lot, which I find super Super interesting because some people think of cleaning as just putting stuff back in their home where other people are like, I think of bleaching like the bathroom floor and scrubbing the tiles on my hands and knees. <laughs> like some people don't like crusty bits of toothpaste in the sink. Some people don't like piles of paper on the floor. Some people hate both. Yeah. You never All those know. things. All those things. But a small number of you wrote in saying you've learned to reach a place of peace with your partners in regard to housekeeping. This letter from Jennifer says, In my first year of marriage, blended family with four teens and a five-year-old, I decided it would be a good idea for me and my husband to get up early on Saturday and clean our entire six-bedroom house top to bottom. Problem was, my husband didn't agree with this plan at all. So we spent six to eight months having full-blown fights every single Saturday. We are now 16 years in, and we've learned to adjust to each other's expectations. I've learned peace has a greater value than neat and tidy rooms. He's learned that nothing is sexier to me than a man vacuuming and loading the dishwasher. Oh, I hear you on the vacuuming and loading the dishwasher. Yeah. In our household, I mean, Dean knows that that's very attractive to me, which is one reason why I think he likes to do the majority of the housework. Part Mm -hmm. of it is acts of service to go back to the love languages. I, I also appreciate a good act of service. Yeah. So part of it's that. And, you know, he just... He he knows it gets my motor going to yeah. see, you know, a clean house that he made clean and I didn't make clean. I love watching Brad, like, in some sweats and, like, a shitty graphic tee just, like, cooking me some food so I don't have to. And then cleaning up after himself. Like, it makes me rock hard. <laughs> this is probably TMI, but I just have photos of Dean vacuuming in my phone. Yo, I would jerk <laughs> it to that in a second. <laughs> he looks so good vacuuming. It's really, it, it's, oh, honey, if you're listening right now. Just you just vacuum. He's forever got like a very tight booty. I could really imagine him like getting into it. Oh, he it. does. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dean. Yes, yes. I mean, we have a Roomba, which we've mentioned in prior episodes. But yeah, he get can out there. bend over and check that Roomba. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, I sorry, digress. we went on a tangent there. Let's sorry. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> yes, on a totally different note, there are some of you out there who we think Phyllis Diller would be especially proud of because you found other solutions when it comes to cleaning. Like Rebecca, who says, We have a cleaner. 
Two, a married couple who come once a week and save our lives. We could keep on top of an equitable division of labor when it was just us, but with a young child, no. I know we're totally throwing money at the problem, but hey, we don't grow our own food either. We buy that, too. Work. If you have the funds and it makes your life more livable, go for it. Yeah, Phyllis Diller would totally approve yeah. of that, like the home-baked goods. Like, yeah, you can exactly. buy those. Buy that home-baked good. Yeah. Warm it up in your oven, maybe. Yeah, do that. You don't necessarily need to do it all. If mm-hmm. you have the resources, yeah, bring in somebody once a week or once a month or once every six months. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Ugh. Love all of these letters taking us down memory lane. Thank you so much to everyone who shared their stories. And there are lots more stories on our Facebook community. Read them all at facebook.com slash groups slash Pod. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, your thoughts on peeing in the shower. And as always, we'll announce next week's book. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's all-purpose cleaner cleans and kills 99.9% of viruses and bacteria. It can be used on hard, non-porous surfaces like the kitchen, bathroom, and other areas in your home. (sighs) Don't just clean. Lysol clean. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We are back with one of the most divisive topics we have ever discussed on By the Book. Peeing in the shower, as Jolenta, you revealed, is something you do in the most recent episode, much to Brad's disgust. And in that episode, I admitted, didn't even admit, just owned up to the fact and celebrated that I also pee in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. We're both shower peers. We heard from a lot of you who are also shower peers. Sheila wrote in to say, I do everything in the shower. Brush my teeth, shave, drink a beer, pee. I do all of those things except for the beer, but I do do the morning tea in the shower sometimes. No, that's nuts. No, but I guess I, it makes sense. It's like sort of misty and warm, like add some flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. So I pee, drink tea, and shower, and brush my teeth, and yeah, all at once. Just It's great. Just, just it, teeing and peeing. Tea. Oh, that's nice. I'm not sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, not everyone agrees with us, Jolenta, about the joys of peeing in the shower. Gianna says, I work at a spa, and the number of people that pee in the shower is disgusting. 
They're single occupancy rooms, so they think they can get away with it, and we won't know because it gets washed away. Oh, we know. Sometimes we have to bleach down the whole shower after because it smells so bad, and normal shower cleaners aren't working. Really? Wow. wow. What are they consuming that their pee doesn't go away with water and soap? They're all asparagus farmers. Are they? Yes. Because I I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm showering. There's soap. There's suds. I know, but maybe it's because it's like a quick spa shower, but also just like don't pee at public showers. That's different. Yeah. I don't. But that being said, I thought it was interesting that in the main episode, Brad asked you as if it was more disgusting, you do it here in our shower? Yeah, but it's like, that's where you should. Yeah, but he almost seemed to be implying, it's okay if you do it at the yoga center. No, no, no. I don't do that there. That's that's disrespectful, you know. Save it for your own home, like your in-laws, your parents' house, the ocean. Oh, definitely the ocean. Yeah, yeah. you can take a shit in the ocean and I won't care. Yeah. Michael Phelps said that he does not know a single swimmer who doesn't pee in the pool. That is gross, but if it's your job, like, you know, marathon runners pee and stuff while they run. So yeah, I get it. they do. Yeah. Anywho, listener Emily put up a survey on our Facebook community because she wanted to know if other people peed in the shower And she admitted that she herself found the idea horrifying. Yep. Uh, We followed suit by putting up a Twitter survey to find out how many out there on Twitter also pee in the shower. And Jolenta, our results are in. Womp, womp, womp. As of today's taping, the results are, uh, according to Facebook, approximately 80% of those who responded said they pee in the shower regularly or occasionally. Yes. Work, peers. <laughs> On Twitter, the numbers were a bit more even, with 61% of respondents saying they pee in the shower and 39% saying they don't. So I think no matter where we're looking, most people pee in the shower. Mm-hmm. A little more than average. Yes. Better for the environment. And you know what? Worse for Gianna. <laughs> Sorry, Gianna. Sorry. More power to you. I am sorry people are doing that. Keep it to your homes in the ocean. (laughs) And now it's time. It's the time when we announce next week's book. Our Our next next book is... The Joy of Sex, A Gourmet Guide to Lovemaking by Alex Comfort. Must the sex be gourmet too, or is it just the guide? What if you find it to be a thrill and not a joy? Does it still count as sex? We'll find out next week. And that's it for this mini episode of By the Book. Huge thank you to our fabulous production team over at Stitcher. Our producer is Nora Ritchie. Our engineer, Andy Christens. Thanks also to Joshua Mills, who helps us with our interviews with Professor Trish Travis. And thanks to Nate Wyda, who composed our theme song, Gerald Arnold, who produced this season's new version of the theme song, and our very own producer, Nora Ritchie, with the voice of an angel for singing this season's theme song. Chris Bannon is our chief content officer, and Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Also, check out our other show, We Love You and So Can You. It's got advice. It's got makeovers. It's got love. It's got juicy stories. Hit it up. And please stay in touch. Let us know if you've lived by Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints and send us any questions or suggestions for future books for us to live by. Our email address is kristenangelenta at gmail.com. And don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at Jolenta G, at Kristen Meinzer, or at By the Book Pod. At By the Book Pod's also our Instagram handle. You can slide into our DMs or just like all of our pictures. And we have a phone number. Leave us a voicemail there at 302-49-BOOKS. That's 302-492-6657. 
And don't forget to rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or the Stitcher app or wherever you're listening because it helps people find our show. And if you haven't, tell some friends about the show, too. Tell them while you're hiding up your house or hiding your mess. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Love a cat with a mop on its foot. Uh, love a cat wearing four little mop little mittens. No. Love a cat wearing four little mop booties. So helpful, so cute. Oh. <laughs> Stitcher. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.